Thank you for listening to Tapping Into the Human, a podcast on addiction, recovery, and mental health, brought to you by The Albertus Project. By tapping into the human behind addiction and mental health, we can empower those suffering by creating a culture of empathy and support. Every week, you'll hear powerful stories from people about their journey with recovery and be inspired by individuals and organizations that are leading the charge in decreasing the stigma surrounding mental health and addiction. Hey, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Tapping into the Human. Um, I have a really exciting guest on today's podcast episode, but I thought I'd go into a little detail about how I found my guest. So um, like any day, I was scrolling through uh, TikTok right before I go to bed. Um, and I came across an awesome page called that crazy sub guy and it was Jersey Mike's. It was someone making these really, really good Jersey Mike sandwiches. I was super hungry. I was like, this is not good. I love Jersey Mike's. Then I see, um, in this gentleman's, uh, bio that he's based in Northern Virginia, which is where the Albertus project and I am based in, in Manassas, Virginia. Um, and as I was scrolling through and getting really hungry, I saw the gentleman that runs this, Donnie Otero, talking about sobriety and recovery and addiction. Um, and that really resonated with me because I was like, okay, I love sandwiches, but this guy is talking about something that um, not a lot of people are vulnerable enough to talk about. And it really humanized this person who had a lot of followers. And I'm sure that was you know, potentially a little bit risky Long story short, I reached out to Donnie and I wanted to chat with him um, a about his awesome TikTok channel, which we'll go into, but also about his journey in recovery and sobriety and addiction. And, and that way his followers could learn a little bit more. My followers can learn a little bit more. And I just thought it was uh, everything was meant to be how I found him and everything. So, Donnie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate the introduction. I don't know like how I follow up with that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, all good. Well, um, for everyone who doesn't know maybe your channel on TikTok and a little bit about you, explain the kind of TikTok side of the house and then if you can go into detail a little bit about your background growing up and then your sort of path to sobriety. Oh yeah, yeah. So um so I'm based uh out of a Jersey Mike's in Lorton. Virginia, and I also am a district manager for one in Oxen Hill. So I'm like a district manager slash general manager. And uh, I just started making TikTok videos of me working, like uh, from a customer perspective. And it just got like 7 million views, one of these videos. Yeah. And um, I was like, I started out with secret menu stuff. And, um, and it was just the first video I posted was just blaring music. And it's a good sub, but blaring music, like, so many people just bash me. They're like, oh, God, you ruined the video. You know, but then as time went on, I got a little better. And then that 7 million view video hit and um, like it just went crazy. So then the ideas start popping up and I just uh, I kind of just make it up in the morning of. So okay. I'll go to go to work early and then uh, just like, you know what? I think I'll do this today or that today. And I'll stand there for like five minutes, think of something and I'll make it and whatever happens happens you know yeah no that's awesome and what was it like for your managers and all the people that you work with they probably are like whoa like you're just doing your job you're being awesome and positive but you're getting such great feedback i mean i try to get as many of them to come into the videos as possible but they're like shy you know yeah. they don't want to um um they don't want to be on camera but my bosses i did run everything by them because it's a franchise and uh they were like yeah cool you know hopefully jersey mike will notice and 
maybe you can get sponsored. Yeah, no, that's awesome. What is the, have you got any response from corporate or anything like that? Not yet. Not that's yet, so but... surprising. It's like everywhere. I know. And, but I'm working on some stuff with my area director. I'm, I'm pushing, we're pushing it. Yeah, um, so that's, that's the TikTok side, but a little about like my story. Um, I grew up in Northern Virginia from Annandale, uh, Annandale, Virginia, and then slash Alexandria. But um, so my sobriety date is October 25th, 2018. And I, uh, I've been in a Well, I was in addiction from the age of 12 to 27. Wow. So I, I grew up in addiction. Uh, good childhood, though. You know, I, I grew up with a single mom, some sisters. I had an aunt that lived downstairs. I was in a house full of women. Uh, my dad wasn't really there. So, uh, you know, I think that kind of started the uh, the seeking for that male figure, you mm -hmm. know, a male role model. So, um, you know, my mom actually got addicted to drugs. Uh, I now know when I was in fourth grade, but it didn't take hold of her until about the summer of sixth grade when I was in sixth grade. Okay. So when I was about, you know, 11 and a half, 12 years old, the neglect started. So mm -hmm. the neglect on her part directly correlated with my using because that's when I started being in the streets more, hanging out with older, older guys. Uh, I was hanging out with gangs and um, started smoking weed at 12 and uh, started drinking, I'd say alcoholically um, at that age as well. I mean, I would, I was blacking out at 12 years old, you know, um, I was, uh, I remember I snorted some pills, like some prescription pills, anything that I could get my hands on at that time. Um, anything to get out of my mind, you know, I always say my drug of, people say, what's your drug of choice? My drug of choice is more. Yeah, <laughs> and more of whatever you got uppers, downers, both, you know, but yeah. um, so that went on for about two years. Um, my mom was addicted to crack um, and she drank, you know, but it finally came to a head when we got the eviction notice. And um, I had I remember I had found my mom's crack pipe. I brought it to my friend. I told my sister she flipped out. She um, came and took me. She took custody of me when I was 14. Um, my mom signed her rights over my dad. He didn't, you know, he's not really around, but he did. Um, and so I kind of got on track. Right. And fast forward to 17, when I was 17, my mom, uh, she had replaced the addiction to crack with alcohol. Wow. Okay. And by, from the age of when she stopped, I was around 14 and a half, 15 years old to when I was 17 she passed away from chronic alcoholism. I'm so sorry. Oh man, thank you. And I was a, but like when I was, I never stopped using, you know, I just did it more controlled, I guess. Um, and so I was always smoking weed, but uh, high school, I was, I started selling drugs. Um, I started, I was addicted to Coke and ecstasy really bad. Uh, when I was 16 and, uh, and into when my mom passed away, it was just, I, I just went crazy. And my friends thought I was trying to kill myself with all the drugs I was doing, man. Uh, yeah. There was never enough like Coke. Coke was one of my main drug drug. Um, and then, and then I, uh, 
I ended up moving out of my sister's house to go live with a, my grandma in Annandale and take care of her, but I used it as a fucking trap house. I'm sorry, can I cuss something? Yeah, yeah, a thousand percent. Yeah. All right, cool, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Probably late to ask that, but <laughs> uh, I used it as a freaking trap house, man. And um, and uh, I wasn't really taking care of her as I should. From the age of 18 to about 22, I don't really remember. Uh, I blacked out, I drank to blackout. I, I did cocktails of alcohol, drugs, anything. Uh, and then in 2011, I overdosed on heroin. Um, well, that was late 2011, I overdosed on heroin. Uh, I was shoot, shooting heroin. And early, actually, that was that was my second overdose. The first one was just a cocktail of stuff, um, tramadol, a little bit of heroin, ecstasy, um, more tramadol, <laughs> alcohol, and uh, yeah, I was just I was on a bad path, man. And then um, I got with my wife uh, when I was twenty-two. Was she aware of your addiction? She knew that I was crazy. I've known my wife since I was eight, in eighth grade. So okay. she knew, you know, what it was, but we've been friends. We've been friends and right. we hooked up some in high school, but um, I wasn't ready for any commitment. You know, I kind of ghosted her <laughs> uh, and when I was like 18, but, um, but we got together and I finally, I, I took that serious and that, you know, the addiction with addiction, life is like a roller coaster, you yeah. know, so. I really low, and then I started to come up, right? Mm -hmm. So we got together. She helped me to keep a job with Jersey Mike's. Wow, okay. Um, because I uh, I was trying to call out all the time. I was always hungover, and she would show up and pick my ass up and make sure I got there at 6 Good eight. for her. That's yeah. awesome. That's what you sort of need. So. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Um, I ended up moving up to be a general manager, um, and she and I – got uh, she has a son uh, he was five years old when i was in i came into her life uh, his life and um and then we ended up getting our own apartment and this whole time i'm thinking like if i do these things like i'm just gonna snap out of it like i'm just gonna grow up you know but it just it it didn't happen you know um and we actually got married um in 2014 awesome. and, and uh and we had my daughter in 2015. So then again, you know, I thought I was gonna have my daughter and I'm just gonna start being an adult and doing the right thing. But um, in the midst of all this, when we had gotten together, I had gotten busted for uh, selling drugs. Okay. And I got on probation. So I couldn't smoke my weed anymore and I couldn't do my drugs, you know, mm -hmm. because I didn't know when the piss test was. So that's when the drinking really hit. Mm. And I used that as my excuse. I was smoking spice. You know what spice is? I don't. What is that? You ever heard of K2? Yes. Yeah, K2. Oh, okay. It's synthetic marijuana, but they say it, it, it affects you like PCP. It's like the cousin wow. of PCP. Interesting. Uh, in, okay. In terms of how it affects you. So I was zombied out. I was smoking that stuff. My wife almost left me because of that. Um, and I used the probation as my... Um, as my excuse for drinking so much. I said, once I get off probation, I'll stop. Right. You know? Yeah. And then I got off probation and it it had got me in the grips, dude. And that's when I had to start hiding it. And mm. that's one of the clear cut signs that you're an alcoholic. If you have to hide your drinking from anybody. Right. My wife is a normie. 
she that's what we call a normie she can drink half a glass of wine and leave it and, and then I, that's it yeah um i'm sorry did there you did are I, you're back yes sorry Stupid. you were just you were leaving off how your wife is a normie how she can drink half a glass of wine and she'll just sort of leave it oh my gosh yeah and i'm like alcohol abuse you know <laughs> well um so so uh let's see got off the probation continued to drink got my daughter was born when she was two months old i got a drunk in public and it just kept going kept going and finally um i hit my bottom in 2018 got a dui in may of 2018 um, my wife kicked me out in august of okay. 2018 um that week was the worst week of my life i got arrested wow. for drugs uh they found cocaine um a baggie of cocaine some some uh, marijuana cartridges, which is a felony in Virginia. So that's two felonies. They found weed. That's a misdemeanor. I was already on bail or yeah. bond for the DUI. Right. My, and I called my wife. She said, yeah, you should have been home with your family, you know, as she should. She yeah. has every right to kick my ass out. Um, right. So then I got locked up less than a month later Okay. for the same thing. <laughs> the the cartridges and uh so now i'm faced with three separate incidents and i haven't even been to court for the dui yet wow yeah and uh i <laughs> for that dui by the way i got pulled over twice in one night no way oh I, my god i don't know how i talked myself out of the first i was gonna day. say how'd you how'd you get out of it the first time i kind of don't remember <laughs> oh my god i was blacked out and i can laugh about it now but it's sad you know no, it is it is sad a hundred percent and and that's the thing too it's like we can look back at back at it now and we'll get to the recovery part of the story where you're in a much stronger place sounds like you have a family you're really working on yourself and working the steps and all that sort of stuff and now we can look at it and be like that but at the time i mean you're in the grips of active addiction and losing your family and it's 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 really sad yeah so it was uh it was it's funny now but then i uh you know i had tried to stop i've tried to stop throughout my life i'll get like three days uh four days and i haven't you know i haven't drank i always smoked weed that was always but right. um even my alcoholic friends said that i had an alcohol problem wow okay so, um I so mean, you knew like in your heart like you knew something was wrong you obviously wanted to stop but it probably like and i think you'll you'll get to it but what really changed for you where you were like you were trying you wanted to but then you really got to a place where like nope like this is actually what i'm going to be doing so when i went to i turned myself in for the dui i had to do a mandatory four days okay and that was on october 24th of 2018. so i go into the jail and everybody says you read when you go to jail so i picked up a book and the first book is okay. the 12 steps and 12 traditions of alcoholics anonymous okay and uh and i said okay this might be a sign mm. i'm in for a dui and i get this and uh i read it in a day and a half and it felt like somebody was trying to prank me because it was everything that i have ever felt 
Wow. Clear, clear as day. Uh, and and as immediately when I got out, I knew that that I was done. You know, opportunity and desire kind of cross paths. You know, I, I had, I was like, hey, I got a jump start on. It. I got four days. Like that's huge for me. Right, <laughs> right, right. Who's like me and. Um, and my wife, she was, she had kicked me out already, man. I lost my job because I got locked up one of those times. I, and and then she wanted to um, keep my kids from me, which understandably so. Right. So that was my bottom. I was going to lose everything that was important to me that I loved. And I truly feel that I got the gift of desperation, as we call it, um, where it's like, you got you to gotta do something. You right. have to do something or you're going to die. Yeah. And I was, I mean, I don't, for me, I couldn't get any more lower than that. Any lower than homelessness, no family, no job. So I started going to meetings. I was on probation. I had to do outpatient treatment, but I did meetings before I was mandated. Okay. I just wanted to get the help. Yeah. And, and um, now, I don't speak for AA or any 12-step program, but I go to AA, and I choose to break my anonymity because that's a big thing in the community. Is uh, It's one of the traditions is anonymity is um, the spirit, one of the spiritual principles uh, that we're based on. Right. But I feel like, especially with the, the TikTok channel, that's why I was like, okay, I got a bunch of followers, man. There has to be somebody that I can help, you know, yeah. because that's what fills the void. That, that, that used to be there um, and I still feel a void, but what fills it now is, you know, the, trying to help people. Yeah. And the only way I can keep this gift is to give it away. And so I, uh, I cried every day in a meeting for 30 days. My first 30 days, I cried because it was just surreal. Everything they were saying related to me and, but I, I felt protected. I knew that I wasn't alone. I said, what the hell? I'm, I'm in a room with a bunch of 50, 60, 70 year old guys, yeah. and gals, and I'm hearing my story in each one of them separately, you know? And I was like, oh my God, these people know what I'm, I'm thinking, like how I'm feeling. It, it made me feel at home. So that's amazing. I knew that I was in the right place. Um, and after three months, I finally put my pride aside and got a sponsor. Amazing. Started working the steps. I joined a men's step study group, um, which I highly recommend for anybody that's trying to work the steps. It gives you different perspectives, and uh, I okay. like the group setting. Yeah. Know, but also the working on one. Nice. Like that's you know, and I've been doing a lot of research on like the effectiveness of all these different recovery groups, and it's what's so nice is, as you said, like you can you feel safe because all these other people have experienced pretty much the exact same thing as you have. Everyone's story is a little bit different, but you get to hear all these different perspectives and there's just a community um, who really understands the space that you're in and how to kind of keep you accountable. So I, I've heard it's amazing. Oh yeah, for sure. And if there's anything that I didn't understand working with my sponsor, somebody's covering it, you know, out of these six, seven guys. Um, and so, you know, working those steps, it started teaching me spiritual principles and, and morals, something that I never knew what mm -hmm. I never had. I, I never was capable of a, a deeper thinking because I was so limited to my addiction. My addiction kept me in a cage. Okay. Right? 
and it wants my my it's a disease i really feel that it is a disease now that's one of the stigmas behind is some people say it's not a disease percent is a disease it's a chronic disease i looked it up i looked up the definition of disease yep. and all it checks all the boxes you know yes. and um and my disease wants me secluded isolated it wants me dead or in jail you know and that's where i was headed so these all these spiritual principles they're teaching me honestly <laughs> i could they only say the word uh alcohol and like talking about the first step but everything else is just teaching you how to be a good person i was gonna say it applies to life right yeah, it, exactly. it's you how to live life within the bounds that makes most sense for you and I think that's what's what's special about all the people that I've spoken to, whether it's 12 step programs or whatever. It's like they found a community, they found a home and they can apply these steps or points or whatever to the rest of their life to be, live their life in a way where they're helping other people. It's about service. It's about community. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what's so special. And I was going to say, like now at the place that you are in your life, I assume everything's all good with your family. But how do you repair sort of i'm going to call it the damage with your wife obviously there's got to be especially right at the beginning a sense of mistrust and are you going to really be able to stick through this and how, how does that work because a lot of people who listen to our podcast are family and friends of people who are actively suffering or in recovery and it's you know it's an up and down journey so it was extremely hard on my wife um i was not a faithful husband and that came to a head when um, I was working my steps and she found my fourth step and a lot of that stuff, uh, it was my moral inventory and a lot of my guilt that I felt guilty about were um, all those things that I did and she had found it. Right. And it, it broke her fucking heart, dude. And um, they say, you're only supposed to share this with your sponsor. And for, that's for a reason because all the guilt went from me to her, oh. all that pain. So honestly, not everybody can can make it past this, like, you know, the infidelity and stuff. But um, we went to therapy. Good. I was, I was open. <laughs> and yeah. she said, if you drink ever again, we are fucking done. Mm. That's it. And I mean, that's all I need. I, I didn't want to drink anyway, but now it's in the back you know, of my mind. In the back of your mind, you're like, nope, done. Yeah. But yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely, it was not easy. There's a lot of arguments and um and she was very insecure for a while you know and i just had to be there be whatever she needed yeah. you know and and i i make a living amends to her by every day by not drinking not right. using i was always in the streets i wanted to be everywhere but home i would sneak mm -hmm. out at night yeah. and she would catch me Right. Um, like, and I would just be with my boys, just sniffing coke and drinking until 4 a.m., you know? So by doing, by just living right and doing what I'm supposed to do as a father and a husband, um, eventually time uh, kind of mended it, but it's always going to be there. But, you know, she and I, we've been best friends. So we have a, a very unique relationship where we can, we can kind of laugh about it now a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I don't bring it up. <laughs> I don't bring it up, but um, I had to take responsibility and say I'm a fucking asshole and an idiot, and and you totally, you feel the way you feel, and and it's justified. Like 
Right. You, yeah. You're entitled to your feelings and yeah, no, you, but you show up and you're there. And then the other question I was going to ask you was like, what do your kids know? And if they don't know, like, what will you tell them? Right. Because it's so important to have sort of a level of transparency, but also keep it age appropriate. Like, what do they know? How do you talk about that with kids? They don't know about the whole me and her thing. Right, right, right. But um, I bring my kids to meetings. I had, awesome. to, I had to sometimes because I, I had to put in the same effort that I put into my using and to my recovery. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if I was willing to take my daughter to the fucking ABC store, why can't I take her to a meeting with me? There's no excuse yeah. for me yeah. to get to a meeting, you know? Right. Um, it And I am very honest with my son. He kind of remembers um, me mm. in active addiction. He just right. remembers mommy and daddy fighting a lot. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, but my daughter, thank God, if God willing, um, if I keep doing what I'm doing, she won't ever have to see me drunk or, or right. loaded, you know? So I'm very open with them. I just tell my daughter, daddy can't drink because he'll go crazy. Right. And my son is 14, so he gets it. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, man, um, by, I mean, it was an act of God. I, I truly believe all this stuff happened. Yeah, and, you know, and, and I remember a higher power God. I'm right, sorry. right, right. No, and I remember you talking about. Um, I think it was in a TikTok video how supportive your managers at your location were when you know you were open with them, which takes a heck of a lot. And they were receptive and they wanted to support you and they were trying to help you find meetings. Can you talk about that? Because I think it's it's listen. There are some people who are complete jerks about it and don't understand it, but I love. Even if they weren't going through it, they supported you through it. And that's the type of community that we need. Yeah. my I told my boss, uh, well, one of my bosses is a husband and wife. I told the wife who had hired me, uh, she was one of my ex-customers. So okay. we, we knew each other already. And I told her in like my first week, because she hired me right out of jail. She didn't know yet, though. Okay. Yep. And so I didn't want to lie anymore to anybody. And I felt like I was holding back. And I told her I'm on probation. This is what's going on. I, I kind of like cried to her that I'm trying to get better. And yeah, that you can go on your break and go uh, go to a meeting. There's one right up the street. We'll look it up. I have. She said I come from a family of addiction, except wow. I made it out. And she yeah. was like, I will do whatever you need, whatever you need to get better, as long as you want to get better. And that's the thing. If you don't want to get better, nobody can help you. Right. Unfortunately, you know, that is the unfortunate part, right? Because there's other things that it's a little bit easier. Like even if the person doesn't want it, you can get them up to show up. But this is such a challenging disease, right? If you are not the person who's in the driver's seat, who's like, yep, I'm going to wake up today and this is going to be what I do. Unfortunately, it's a futile effort. And I think that that's what's so challenging. I mean, and I've learned as like a family uh, member or a friend of, of loved one suffering, you can't want it more than they want it. Yeah. Yeah. And if, the more you try to impose your will onto them, yeah. the more defiant they get, you know? And that's why I say the bot hitting bottom is, is crucial. If you don't hit a bottom, then there is no psych. There's no reason for a psychic change. There has to be a psychic change for you to change your behaviors, you know? And I always say that we think we, when we're doing something new or think about doing something new, we always think that we need to feel like doing something before we do it. 
right? So I, a saying that I always uh, tell my guy, like uh, some of my sponsees is, you can't think your way into right acting. You have to act your way into right thinking. So mm. you just got to do it, you know, just, just get up and go to a meeting, get up and go to the, the rehab or a detox and right. let it play out, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. And I think what obviously was so special and how, is how I found you, otherwise I wouldn't have known, was how vulnerable and open you are on TikTok. And I saw so many people comment and support, and I'm sure you got a lot of love. I'm sure you also got people who are crappy people and whatever. Yeah. But what made you, and you talked about a little bit, what made you feel like, you know what, like I have a little bit of a platform now, I am going to say this. Was it just the fact that you, like, you, didn't, you wanted to be transparent and honest, you wanted to help people? What was that motivation for you? It was kind of like I want people to get to know me as a person, and yeah. and um, honestly, I just I, anybody that is struggling and sees that maybe it can help them. If it helps, and I told myself when I posted that video, I said, if this doesn't get any views or whatever, as long as it reaches one person, then yeah. I've reached, I, I've reached my goal. <laughs> yeah, you know, and um, it's just. I, I feel like it was just uh, my higher power just pushing me to do. I don't know what it was, man. It, I get these feelings, and then I just like, okay, I think this is the higher power telling me, you know. Right. No, which is which I think is so great because I mean that's how I found you, right? And it that's that's how I always think about it, right? It's like for me, I am running a nonprofit about something only a year ago. Uh, I started learning about and if I can help one person, even, you know, whether it's posting something on social media or whatever, just learn a little bit more. So they think about things a little bit differently, right? Like that perspective shift. And if I can help one person in the community, who's not ashamed anymore, who can feel like they can open up to one person, it's, it's all worth it. No. So I, I super value what you're doing. And I think it's really amazing. Um, and again, using social media to kind of drive change. Yeah, but this is, you know, my sponsor is really old school. He's 67 years old. He's not about, you know, he's all about tradition and not breaking your anonymity. But I feel like it's my choice. Yeah, for sure. And especially with the social media, the way social media is now, we can reach more people than ever. Yeah. Before. I, I know 100% agree. And I, I think that that's really great. And again, that's why I think it's important. You know, everyone has um, there's certain defined paths or point or whatever, but you got to make everything your own and, and do what's unique and like truthful to you and your soul and what's on your heart. So I think that that's really great. Um, and Donnie, the always the question that I always ask last is kind of what is your piece of advice? What is something that you haven't said that you want to get out to the community? You want people to know what would that be? Um, I'd say don't be afraid, you know, to take a risk. If you know you have a problem, if you think you have a problem, you probably do. If somebody told you you have a problem, you probably do. If you have to hide it, you probably need help. Um, because there is no, there's no definition for an addict or alcoholic. You can be the biggest addict and have two cars, a house, you yep. know, a boat. You know, everybody's lows are different. And some people's lows might be two cars in the garage. Some might be homeless, but there's no perfect picture of an alcoholic, an addict, anybody in addiction. You know, so don't be afraid to to get help and ask for help. You know, and one thing that I didn't say was the whole 
goal of me working these steps is the steps of the program is to find a higher power, somebody, something, right. whether it's a doorknob or whatever, like anything that I can draw strength from. Um, and you can call it whatever you want. That's what I liked about um, Alcoholics Anonymous is that it's not religious and a lot of people think it is, but it's it's spiritual. You find right. your own thing. There's actually an agnostic chapter in the fucking book. Yeah. So, um, but it, it's just like, you don't have to believe in anything. You believe in what you want to believe in. It's your God. That's why I say my higher power, because my right. God isn't your God. It's not my kid's God. And right. it's it's something that I make and I draw strength from. So, um, you know, just, God, all this is just so surreal. If you would have asked me four years ago, would, I be, would you be on a podcast about yeah, no, listen, if you asked me a year ago if I'd be running a nonprofit and a podcast about addiction recovery, I would have been like, what? You know, but that's why it's 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 so cool. I think I'm a huge believer in everything happens for a reason. I was just thinking that. See, we're, we're connected. No, but that's what's so special, right? You, me being able to share with, you know, with your followers, with our followers. And, and that's what this is all about. Again, community helping at least one person and being able to kind of share our stories. And again, like, I love how you said, and it res resonated with me on TikTok, like you wanted to show like more of the human yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And this is why it's called tapping into the human. There is mm -hmm. more to people than just their addiction. There, you can, any person that I have on this podcast, yourself included, you, even if you don't suffer from addiction or know someone suffering, can find something in their story that humanizes them, that relates, that connects you. Um, and I think that that's what's so special about kind of you sharing your story. And so I just, I very much appreciate you coming on today. and. Uh, yeah, just very grateful. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. By tapping into the human behind addiction and mental health, we can empower those suffering by creating a culture of empathy and support. You can find more episodes of Tapping Into the Human and resources about addiction and mental health by following The Albertus Project on social media at Albertus Project and at www.albertusproject.org. Thank you.